Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. It, it doesn't make, it never makes sense. It never makes sense. And you see these people who are just destroyed by somebody else's actions. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In 2021, three women were murdered in Arapahoe County, Colorado, by their current or former husbands. The Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office said the women were victims of domestic violence, and so are their families. It sucks for those families that are left behind, and you can't, you can't fix that. You don't, there is no fixing it. Um, and so you just hope at the end of the day that you provide help for them. KUSA reporter Darius Johnson has taken a close look at these cases and the larger issue of domestic violence over the past several years, as so many of us have been working from home and often in close quarters with our families. In his Those Left Behind news series for KUSA, Darius spoke to the families of the victims and talked to experts about the warning signs we should all be aware of. Little things. Like, they're not coming to family functions as much anymore. You're not able to talk to them on the phone. Um, or maybe you just see something out of the corner of your eye when you're with them. You know, some type of controlling behavior um, by the significant other. Pay attention to that stuff. Um, pay attention to if they do have unexplained marks. Um, you may not see them, but they could. And, and if, if you do see it, talk to them about it. Um, those are some of the biggest things, I think, to look for. And they're hard um, because the victim nor the perpetrator in those situations wants you to see it. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. I'm joined by Darius Johnson, a reporter and fill-in anchor at KUSA in Denver. Darius, thanks so much for being here with us. Of course, no problem. Darius, let's start. Tell me... A, a little bit about what inspired you to do this series. Uh, you, you know, you focus on these two cases in particular, which we'll talk about. Uh, but but it seems to me the real focus in a lot of ways is, as your title suggests, those left behind. It, it's about the people who are who are left in the wake of these really just terrible tragedies. Yes. Um, you know, we hear so much about domestic violence and we hear a lot about these cases and situations, but rarely do you hear the background and learn what led up to it, whether there were signs or anything else. Um, as I started looking into some of these cases, I noticed that there was a common theme in all of them, that there were children who were left behind. Um, I myself, I consider myself to be a child left behind. Um, I unfortunately lost my mother to gun violence when I was 
about six weeks old, not to domestic violence, but it was a drive-by shooting where she was shot and killed. So I easily thought if anyone could speak to these kids, it would be me because I will understand what that feels like, not from the perspective of domestic violence, but knowing what it's like to live life without a mother. Um, so I easily took it from there. And that's when I started reaching out to these families, speaking with the adults first and asking, would the kids be willing to talk? And I surprisingly found in more than one of the cases, the kids were willing to talk. And I think that's how it all came together. Darius, tell us a little bit about Ipsy Sem Trebelsi, uh, one of the victims uh, of a murder last year in Arapahoe County. First thing that The sheriff's office describes that as one of the most horrific murders they've ever seen. Um, June 1st, 2021, 50-year-old Ibtisem Trebelsi returns home after grocery shopping. She walks in the house and her husband, Todd Anthony Searles, portrays or paints this picture, rather, of her coming in with a bag of clothes, um, talking to him about their divorce, and he says that she began stabbing him. He says that he took the knife from her and he started stabbing her. He ended up stabbing her more than 120 times. Um, She was naked on the floor in the house and he then called 911 to let them know that his wife was dead and he said that he claimed self-defense during that and kind of painted what happened, his version of what happened. Little did he know the 15-year-old daughter was downstairs the entire time hearing her mother scream for help. So that 15-year-old girl was able to give deputies a firsthand account of what happened in the house or what she at least heard in the house before she ran out and went to a neighbor's home. And exactly what she described, her mother coming home after grocery shopping, she heard an argument ensue upstairs. She heard skin slapping on skin before she heard her mom screaming, yelling for help, and even calling for Sarah, her daughter, who was in the basement at that time. She heard this go on for about 15 minutes before she heard everything stop, and that's when she ran to a neighbors. Um, It took her stepfather 53 minutes to call 911 to let them know his wife was dead. So easily a situation where she essentially was telling him that she had started the process to file for divorce days before her murder. So I know the family and the deputies, that's what they believe all led up to this incident. There have been many problems happening between the couple and the kids, um, but this was kind of that final straw. And, you know, those advocates easily describe this as this was his chance to show her that he had the ultimate power and control. Um, He ultimately was arrested that same night. Four months later, he hung himself in the jail before he got to walk into a courtroom. So clearly there had been signs of domestic issues, violence uh, leading up to this event. Yes. um, The kids, the one son, 19-year-old Mazen Claparich, that's her second child, her youngest boy. I did the interview with him and he always talked about the different situations, whether that was them being around their stepfather and it feeling like they were being interrogated or them not feeling comfortable, them always feeling like he had the upper hand and he had the power over the mother. Um, They always saw those clear signs, but the one thing they saw that control and manipulation, but none of them ever thought it was going to get to the point where they lost their mother. And I think that's the common theme in at least both of these cases, the clear signs of control and manipulation. And the other case is 
Trisha Green, who was murdered by her husband just in November of last year, is my understanding. Yes, um, Trisha Sue Green, she was murdered by her husband November 15th. And this is another case where you had a lot of different things going on. Um, essentially, the investigator on the case told me that Trisha was having an emotional affair. It was nothing physical. Um, the husband found out about that. And you know, weeks prior to the murder, there were certain instances that took place. He removed all of the ring cameras from the home. The day of the murder, he took his wife's car to get serviced and he dropped her off at work. He made a big financial transfer at the bank. He told his 15-year-old daughter not to come home because he found out some things and he and his wife were going to get into it. He picks her up from the DMV at 3.30. They get in the car. Three minutes later, you start hearing these calls pour in about a car accident. Deputies arrive, they see a car accident, but they also see two people dead in one vehicle, dead from gunshot wounds, and a gun is still there. So it immediately became this, was the, were they shot in the car? What exactly happened? And it took them hours to learn and figure out that Galen shot his wife, Trisha while they were in the car before turning the gun on himself and then crashing the car. Um, she leaving behind her two kids and her twin sister, who are all trying to figure out what exactly happened and how this happened. In, in this case with Trisha Green, was, was these, were there signs of domestic violence as clear as, say, in, in the first one we've talked about? I think... There were signs. The signs may not have been as clear. You know, Ipti Sims kids easily talked to me about the times that they heard arguments as they were downstairs at the house on those weekends or those weeks that they were spending time there. Noah and CJ, Trisha's two kids, they grew up in the home with Galen. So a very different situation. They had lived in the home with him for, you know, upwards of five years, if not more. They never saw anything physical take place, but they always noticed the control and manipulation that he had over their mother, especially the twin sister noticed that she said her sister could never have lunch by herself. He had lunch with her every single day. She was rarely able to spend time by herself. It was always her and Galen or her with family. She was not really allowed to spend time with other people. And, and you mentioned this detail of him removing the cameras inside the home, it, and you include some of that video in your TV reporting. It, it is just such chilling video. Yeah, we easily include that because the sister provided that to us, and that's when she started to notice things took a turn. She didn't see this video until after her sister passed and deputies gave her her sister's phone. That's when she noticed everything, but that's at the point where she started to paint a picture and try to learn and figure out was this premeditated? And after speaking with the investigators, they said the motive was an affair and this was planned. They are still unclear on how long Galen had been planning it, whether it was from the point that he had started removing cameras for the home, from the home, or whether it was months prior to. But they know when Galen picked up Trisha that day, he had a plan of murdering her. Darius, I want to turn to what's been going on, not just in Colorado or Arapahoe County, but it appears in other parts of the country. In a lot of places over the pandemic, people have been cooped up together in a lot of cases. A lot of problems have been magnified. 
and and there's been an, a, a real uptick in the reported number of cases of domestic violence for a, a number of reasons. Also, I mean, w- one aspect of that is that more people are at home and might be reporting what's going on. And, you know, it's actually a double-edged sword when you really talk about that. As I spoke with so many of these advocates, they talk about at the beginning of the pandemic where they were not getting the calls they would usually get. They weren't getting those calls because the victims were at home with their abusers. You don't have the privacy to be able to make that phone call and tell people what's happening at that point in time because your abuser is right there next to you or feet away from you. Instead, as people started to get back to work, that's when those calls started to tick back up once again. That's when they started hearing from more victims to be able to speak out and say what was happening and what was taking place. So during the pandemic, you really saw the numbers spiking, but you weren't seeing the calls come in because people weren't able to make those calls. Now the calls are starting to pick back up, especially as people are going back to work. And that's the one thing these advocates continue to talk about. They say, you know, during that time, they were getting the worst calls, hearing about strangulation and different things taking place. They were seeing the murders and different things happen, but they were rarely ever getting the calls because people were at home together. So it's so hard when you look at it because you wonder, how did the numbers get this high? Well, people were not able to really call. You spoke to Arapahoe County Sheriff's victim advocate, Renee Grings, in your piece as well. She's been doing this for over a decade and she talks about a number of issues and, 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 and issues surrounding domestic violence, but she talks about the ultimate control factor, that need to have control, is what so often seems to be at the center of these cases. Yeah, it's that power and control. It's that desire to have power and control. Um, It's not a desire to have love. It's a desire for power and control. And they easily talk about it being that last-ditch effort, even when the abuser commits suicide, to prove I have the power. I get to dictate how this story ends. I am writing this story. I am the author. And you still sit there and you rack your mind and you wonder, you taking your life at the end of the day, even after you've possibly taken this victim's life, what is that doing? Who is that impacting? That's not telling the victim anything once they're dead. But that's the one thing they say is continuously in the minds of the abusers. They have to have that control, regardless of who recognizes it or not. They want to make sure that they have that. And it's so hard to wrap your minds around it. The ultimate control factor. And that's what we see in domestic violence all the time is the control, the need to have control over that other person. And the you hear, I think people hear it all the time that if I can't have you, nobody can have you. Um, it's true. It's real. That's, that is what I goes through minds of these people. You also spoke with her about warning signs and, and what family members, loved ones can look out for. One of the big ones has to do with isolation. Can you talk about that? There are so many warning signs and you may not realize them until it's too late. The one thing she talks about is isolation. If you realize a loved one or a friend isn't coming around as much, you aren't able to talk to them on the phone as much, or they're hiding their phone from you, they're hiding bruises or marks or things like that, that's your chance to speak up. And it's not always easy to speak up because, again, victims are scared. They are afraid that if they walk away from their abuser, their life will be altered 
drastically, whether that is the, the abuser taking away all of their resources, all of their assets, or whether that is them just feeling like they have absolutely nothing. I think the biggest one we see is removing um, the victims from their families, trying to distance them from friends, families, and, and the reason that they do that is so that those friends and families don't see what's really going on in the house. So I think there's a lot of that, um, trying to isolate them um, is the biggest thing that we see. Because when we work with victims, we talk to them all the time. Is there other family that you can go stay with? And we hear constantly, nope, I don't have contact with this person or that person. And the reason I don't have contact is because my significant other didn't want me to have contact with them. But as a friend, as a loved one, you can try to get through them and say something three, four, five times and it still doesn't work because they are scared. You have to continuously keep that door open and check in and say, hey, are you okay? Is everything okay? What's going on in life? Because at the end of the day, the victim will always remember. I have that one friend, I have Will or I have Darius who always asks me, how am I doing? Or do you need to talk about anything? When it gets bad and when they get to the point that they want to get out, that's the person that they're going to call because that's the person who they know they can lean on during that difficult time. Darius, you mentioned your personal story and in talking to victims, I imagine you have, uh, there's must be, you were so young, but that doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, you have this shared experience of losing someone in a very violent manner. Yeah. Um, you know, recently I did another story with a former gang member and he asked me probably one of the realest questions that I've ever been asked in my 27 years of life. He said, how can you miss someone you don't remember or you never knew? And I said, wow, it's funny you asked me that question, but it's the fact that you know that you don't have that same love that so many other people experience. You know you don't have that relationship that so many other people have. It's that desire to want to have that. And nothing will ever compare to that. Nothing will ever compare to a boy's love for his mother. And I think in these situations, I still miss my mom, even though I don't know her or I don't remember those moments. I know that I still have a hole in my heart and a hole in my life because of that. And that's where I felt that I could really speak with these kids and even be able to reassure them. 27 years later, this happened when I was six weeks old. It still hasn't gotten any easier and I don't have memories. I can only imagine what it will be like for you when you actually have memories to hold on to and to cherish. Darius, finally, I want to mention there are resources, of course, for people who are experiencing domestic violence or, or in a situation that doesn't seem right. Uh, we will mention the national hotline, but certainly there locally, there, there's ways people can reach out. Yeah, um, there are so many resources in every community, even I think just to speak from the state level, to know that you have the attorney general and so many others who are working towards this. A lot of people really care about domestic violence, but I know a lot of times it comes to where are the funds to be able to provide the resources, but they are there. Sometimes you have to really dig for them, and I don't think that's right because no one has time to dig in a life or death situation. But there are resources out there, especially for the kids who need it right now because they are the survivors in this as well. And then National Domestic Violence Hotline, we'll mention as well, 1-800-799-SAFE or 7233. Darius Johnson at KUSA in Denver, thank you so much for telling us about your, your personal experience and also all of these stories. It's such important work to, to share. 
No, definitely important. Um, I really appreciate you all ha- for having me, and I really hope that these stories can resonate with some victims and for some su- survivors as well. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. Be sure to check out our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles, available wherever you listen to podcasts. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. <laughs>